You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Half Stack Highlights. This is Jen Lazan, Editor-in-Chief of Half Stack Magazine and one of the hosts of the Half Stack Highlights podcast. This week, I'm sharing an interview with Kristen Wiley. She's the founder of Statusphere. Having worked as both an influencer and a brand, she saw firsthand how challenging and frustrating the process could be for everyone involved. There is no streamlined way for brands and influencers to easily find and build authentic, mutually beneficial connections. On the brand side, it was difficult to find quality influencers who fit the right niche with high engagement and followings to match. And on the influencer side, there was little control over which brands would be pitched. Kristen launched Statusphere to give both influencers and marketers what they wanted out of influencer marketing all along. More control over the influencer marketing process without the wasted time and energy. Statusphere is a place where brands and influencers meet and create win-win relationships. For brands, this means eliminating the strenuous process of finding the influencers that have everything you're looking for and then managing the entire influencer campaign. For the influencers, This means having a streamlined and favorable way to select the brands that you want to post about without getting approached by brands who are completely off the mark for you. If you're someone who's interested in learning more about monetizing and growing your blog, hearing more about how startups work with co-ops and incubators, or more about transitioning from a career into entrepreneurship, then this is the episode for you. Just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself and your background, and then what led you to pursue launching your company? Okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, so hi, my name is Kristen Wiley, and thank you for having me. Um, I can tell you a little bit about how I got started. So um, I'm the founder of a company called Statusphere, and we connect brands with micro-influencers. And I kind of fell into it in a kind of weird way. Um, when I was in college, I had a, a, a um, professor, and he told me, you know, the only thing that's going to make your young age a benefit is learning everything you can about social media. Um, and I, I took that to heart, and I went home that night, and I started a blog. Um, and it was a food and baking blog, and I, I got really into it. And after a couple of years, it actually grew to the point where I would get different brands reaching out to me um, and, you know, paying me to actually post about their products, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then I ended up getting a job right out of college at a marketing agency, and they actually put me in charge of all their influencer marketing outreach because they knew that I had a blog and I was getting paid by brands. So they kind of put me on the other side, on the brand side. Um, so it's kind of on both sides of this problem. And I started realizing how the current solutions just weren't cutting it for my clients. And even as on the influencer side, I wasn't really happy with, you know, the current solutions out there either. I would get pitched, like I said, I was a food brand and I would, or a food blog, and I would get pitched by like mattress companies and like all sorts of weird, <laughs> weird products that had nothing to do yeah. with my, yeah, nothing to do with my brand. Um, and so I was kind of frustrated on that front. And then on the brand side, the current platforms were like crazy expensive. Um, my agency luckily paid for a lot of the solutions, but I still was like, why are we paying $2,000 a month just for like a platform that's basically like a list of influencers and it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So that's kind of where the idea 
uh, came from. And I came up with the idea for Statosphere actually a year before I started it because uh, I kind of had to build up the guts to actually do it. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I just actually saw that a year before I had bought, like, the domain name, and I didn't launch it until a year later. Uh, but that was kind of the inception and how it started. I feel like that's, like, a lot of what ends up happening with most entrepreneurs. It's, like, we're working in a field. Um, we, we're learning these, you know, specific things, either through experiences or directly through our jobs. And then, you know, you kind of see a, a need in the market. And it's, like, how can I use what I already know, my skill set, my experiences, to make this better for people who are essentially <laughs> – like me, but a little different. And exactly. I think that's so important too, because it's like, I feel like with what you're trying to do with Statusphere, it's offering something that isn't the norm out there that's a little different. And and like you said, it's, it can be so expensive. My background too, like with, we get tons of pitches to the magazine, tons and tons and tons. Obviously we're a lifestyle brand, so we're able to take on lots of different types of things. Um, but early on, like you, I was I was a blogger. I started blogging, and then I was working in social media in the corporate world and in fashion. And it's just it blew my mind how expensive some of these, you know, platforms like Cision and things like that were. Mm -hmm. And it's like it just blew my mind. Essentially, you're paying for a list of people. Or same thing with PR agencies. I I worked in PR for a long time, so I get it. But at the same time, it's like they keep those contacts so close. It's like, how do we open up and make this, like, how do we, demo, like, demo, what is the word, democratize all of this um, exactly. to make it more, that make it better, essentially. Yeah, and make so it's benefit on both sides. Like, I feel like all the platforms out there, not only are they expensive for the brand, but on the influencer side, they're made for the brand, not for the influencers as of yes. now. So mm -hmm. they... Don't favor you, and, you, and as an influencer, you have to go and apply to all of these opportunities, and you only get 10% of them, and they, it takes a lot of time, and I don't feel like that's right that you have to almost, like, write your whole pitch to them just not to even get it, get the opportunity. So. Yes, yeah. So speaking on that, can you tell us more about, like, what Statusphere is, how the idea came about? I know you, you mentioned, you know, during college and while you've been working, but, like, was there, like, this spark of inspiration that really like said like that let you say like I'm gonna do this this is what I'm doing and this is how we're gonna change like this industry right now yeah so as I was kind of on both sides of it and I did I worked at the agency for five years so it was kind of like a overtime from college and out um, but while I was there uh, I obviously was getting I had a food it was a food and baking blog so I would get pitched like Coca-Cola and Hershey's so lots of food brands um, and my other thing that I very much liked was fashion. <laughs> so I was like, if I'm getting free food, why can't I get some free clothes? Um, so that was actually my like, yeah. first, like, let's start a, a fashion blog, um, which I, you know, I was a whole nother animal um, in itself. And I actually did that for about a year. And man, it was challenging. It was very expensive. And I started having like, really developing a very high level of respect for a lot of these fashion and lifestyle influencers because I realized how hard it was, like how much planning goes into it. Um, I mean, I used to actually go to the store and buy products to take pictures of, and then I'd return them because it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You post pictures like daily if you want to keep up with it of new products. And I couldn't afford that. So I would like, you know, buy a purse, take some pretty photos and, and return it <laughs> to the store. Um, 
because yeah, it's like you know, you know, if you're young, you don't have the budget for these crazy yes. fashion things. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's like you're almost trying to keep up with the Joneses and social media and in the fashion industry with blogging. So I started, I started with the fashion blog, and like I said, it was even more challenging than I, I thought it would be after doing the food blog. And, um, and that's when I started thinking, like, I'm bringing all this value. I started connecting with other fashion and lifestyle bloggers, and I'm like, we're bringing all this value, and we're, like, barely scraping by trying to get these products. I was like, what if there was, like, a box of products I get each month, kind of like my birch box, where I just get it in exchange for sharing it, you know, um, with all of my, my following, and I feel like that it just made sense. It's kind of like, you know, the trendy thing was is – the whole boxing and, and doing uh, subscription boxes, um, and then influencer marketing, and it just seemed like a really good match. Uh, so that's kind of where the idea originally spurred from. Um, and then from there, I, I decided to, um, I applied through a program called Starter Studio, and they actually like take your idea from inception and help you come up with an MVP, and it's out of locally in Orlando. Um, and it was really cool because they made us do a ton of stuff that you don't want to do, like all the customer interviews was one of their biggest things. So I interviewed tons of influencers and brands um, before even developing the product fully. So that's how it started. I'm, I'm starting to hear more and more about these, like, organizations that kind of help startups, um, you know, build off of their initial idea and really try to take it to market in a smart and strategic way. Um, and I think that's that's really awesome. I'm going to end up having you talk about that in a little bit. But before that, okay. let's maybe touch on this whole idea of how influencers and marketers are working together. I was actually reading an article, and I think it's starting to change, um, but I was reading an article about the difficulties to get, um, you know, brands to, you know, to pay for sponsorships or to pay for um uh, you know, write-ups or features, and a lot of bloggers today, it's a lot of work, like you mentioned, it costs money, and essentially, like you mentioned earlier, too, like, it's almost like this imbalance of power, where the brands or these platforms tend to have, you know, the power in terms of what they're doing, and then the bloggers or, you know, these influencers are, they're not necessarily feeling like they're benefiting from whatever it is they're doing. Because, yeah, you can get free clothes and free things, but essentially those things, they don't pay the bills. And if you're a full-timer, or even if you're not full-time, it it can be really hard um, to be able to to feature those products, to do those write-ups. It takes hours sometimes to work Mm -hmm. on those things. So what are your thoughts on, you know, that whole idea of, you know, I don't they keep calling it pay to play, but in reality it's really it's not necessarily that. Um, but this whole idea of sponsorships and why it's so difficult for these influencers to be able to get it. Um and then do you think the industry is kind of evolving and changing and they're starting to understand that bloggers are not necessarily magazines and even like independent magazines like us, I'm not backed by a publisher. It's me. Mm-hmm. You know, those costs are coming out of my pocket. A lot of us are volunteers, and we're not necessarily making the money that um, a, a Vogue or a LUSA may be making. And so it's a little different to have a journalist who's getting paid from the magazine write an editorial feature versus an independent blogger, yeah. you know, write about an editorial, you know, placement, like the, the non-paid versus paid. 
Yeah, no, the that's a very interesting space, and there's a lot of almost like controversy in it. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, so the way that you know we are a startup, um, we launched exactly a year ago, December, like officially with our you know MVP and, and customers and everything on on both the influencer and the brand side. And the way that that we do it as of now is the the influencers are doing it in exchange for the product. Um, and then we encourage our brands to kind of use it as a way to so tell us, okay, I want 50 influencers posting. And then they kind of use it as a way to like see which influencers really embody their brands best. And then, you know, it can open up more paid opportunities for them. Um, I do in the future want to move into, you know, the paid space, but just from a, a logistics standpoint of a startup um, and the management of that, we were focusing just on like the gifting side right now. Um, yeah, but it yeah. does to connect them. And one of the things that was really important for me is I, I wanted to test that and really talk to influencers because I didn't want to at all, like, offend them because I know how much work goes into it. So the way that our platform works is each month the influencer is matched with products based on their, you know, type of influencing that they do or their type of blog. So, like, if they're, you know, vegan, we, you know, try to only show them products that are vegan and cruelty-free. If they're a, um, you know, fashion and they don't post about anything about food, we try not to show them food products. So we have this matchmaking algorithm um, that is getting better and better as we grow. Um, that's kind of our tech piece to it that really shows you um, products that you actually are interested in. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, they actually pick which items go in their box. So if you don't yeah. see anything that month that you want to post about, you just skip that month, um, which is, I feel like, giving them the power back. Like, I'm not forcing you to do anything. Like, if you want this product in exchange for these actions, then you just select it, and it'll be in your custom box. Um, so that's wow. the way that we approach it from that angle. Uh, but that was something I was really wanted to make sure I didn't offend anyone or, or anything from that perspective. But at the same time, I also knew the pain points I had as an influencer was just having consistent products to post about. Um, so that's kind of the, the need that we're filling now on the influencer side and also giving them, like, relevant products <laughs> as well, um, really trying to give them, like, higher-end products, not, like, you know, crappy crappy things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's, it's just, it's a really cool concept. Can you tell us more about how the program works for both brands and influencers, how people kind of get involved, um, how, what's your vetting process and, um, you know, how, how it, what's like the ins and outs of how it works for, for you guys and for the brands and the influencers you work with? Yeah, definitely. So um, influencers apply through our website, and actually so do the brands. So we actually have a vetting process for both the brand and the influencer side. Um, on the influencer side, they um, apply. You can see the form on our website. It's kind of basic information. Um, we're working on actually launching an app soon, which is actually kind of like new news. I don't know how many of our influencers actually know this yet, but we're in our beta right now with it and doing some testing. Um, but, but as of right now, it's all, it's all web-based, but we are moving to the mobile side. Um, but after they apply, we review their application, um, and we have an algorithm that we look at that looks at, at a variety of different properties about that influencer. Um, one thing that's very important to us is the engagement rate um, versus, like, you know, how many followers you have. We actually don't care how many followers you have. We much more look at the engagement rate. Um, so we have a specific algorithm, and that's kind of part of our secret sauce, that if they meet that, they're accepted into the network. And that algorithm changes as updates happen. Um, so as you know, like, 
Instagram just made some big updates, so we had to adjust some things. Um, just because now they change the way that they show their their photos and <laughs> the way they're showing different things, so it's constantly like evolving as the platforms evolve. Um, but if they meet those standards, they get accepted into the network, and then each month they get a list of products to choose from um, based on on you know the information we have about them. And then on the brand side, the brands apply. We make sure that they have a, a high enough quality um, item that it makes sense for our influencers. Um, and what the good thing about that is we can also tell brands like, hey, if none of you know we can test it, so we just tell them like, hey, we'll put it in in status here. Um, you want 50 influencers? You only pay for the ones that claim the product. Um, so it's like a win-win on both sides. Uh, so if they're not claimed, there's no risk for the brand on that side um, of the of the model. <laughs> so that's where our pricing model is a little different for the brands, which allows us to work with kind of smaller brands as well as big brands. Very cool. So can you share more about like your vision for Statusphere um, and what you think you're doing to disrupt the whole like typical influencer uh, brand market? Yeah, definitely. So what I find really interesting about most of the platforms out there is I kind of break them into to two categories. There's the platforms that are basically a giant list, like we talked about, like a CRM of influencers. Um, and then there's the other side that's more of a, um, a managed services provider or, or almost like an influencer marketing agency. Um, and I find that the agencies tend to focus on macro influencers, like borderline celebrities, um, who typically have over 100,000 followers. Uh, and same with the platform side. So I feel like no one's really harnessed the micro influencer market. Um, or what we like to call the power middle, because I think it's more a better name for how powerful they are, because <laughs> um, they actually have four times the engagement rate when you compare them to their celebrity counterparts. So we'd really like to focus on that power middle influencer that's more, you know, relatable. It's more that the, the woman that you and I would see on social media and follow her because we know she's a real person. <laughs> um, so that's really the area we want to harness and kind of build out our offering around that um, and kind of see where it takes it. But we'd really like to be, you know, a thought leader in the space um, and kind of continue building our brand there as well, where a lot of the other platforms don't really have their brand associated with it. We've kind of built a following around Statusphere, and we've made it kind of like a badge of honor that, the, that all of our women, you know, are really excited when they get in there. Um, so it's just a different approach, uh, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity in the space. That's really exciting. So what are your goals then for the brand in the next you know, few years, two to five years? How do you hope to be making an impact? And um, what kind of growth are you looking forward to? So as far as growth, we are, we've, I, I still consider us in our minimum viable product stage. Um, so that means I, we, I, I started, I actually built the platform myself and kind of pieced it together um, and kind of taught myself how to, how to Put, put stuff together starting out. Um, now we have a, a tech team as well, and they're automating piece by piece, and we're really building out, like I mentioned, the app and everything. Um, and now we're actually in the process of looking into raising funding. Um, so, so we kind of started that journey, which is a journey if you've talked about anyone who's done it. Um, so that's kind of the place that we're at now. But my goal over the next few years is just to be a main player in the space because I know that's kind of like the wild west right now for influencer marketing and I would say in the next three to five years um, it's going to start consolidating the space so we want to make sure that we're part of that consolidation whether we're the ones 
buying other companies or we're the one kind of getting acquired. Um, we want to make sure that we're positioned in a place where we're part of that conversation. <laughs> um, so from a growth perspective, that's, that's the goal. Um, and I think that that'll really allow us to reach the most people um, and be able to make the most impact from that perspective. Yeah, and I think it's like you're you're looking at it beyond just what you're doing now. You're looking at it from like a big picture perspective, like where do I want to be? Where do I want to go? And like, where's my place in this whole, you know, crazy thing? Because it really is like, you, it's like I hear that all the time, the wild, wild west of influencer marketing. I hear that all the time. <laughs> but it's so true because like, we're all trying to figure it out at the same time. And then the government's like, how do we get our cut? And now the FTC is involved and you have to, you know, mention this if it's something sponsored and or it's an ad and it's really interesting to see like all those developments happening. Um, but it's like, it's all happening cohesively at the same time. And we're learning as we go. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's really crazy. Um, when you think of how quickly it's uh, an entire industry has developed. <laughs> oh, Cause um, when I first started in social media, it was like, I'm going to say like 2008, 2009. And it's like, it's been nine years now, almost like this. It's mind boggling. Like when I first, <laughs> started working like my first corporate job in social media it was like I was like planning out what my job was like they didn't really have a like like a job description it was just like yeah you're gonna you're gonna be doing our Facebook and Twitter <laughs> exactly and how it changed so quickly <laughs> No, it's it's really nuts, and, and I really have to thank my professor that told me to get into it because that really has been, I mean, I haven't had any trouble finding a job or anything because they look at you and they're like, oh, you get social media just because you're young, and if you actually yes. do know, then it's a yes. huge benefit. <laughs> so, Absolutely, absolutely. So then can you touch on a little bit, like, how that whole process of actually going from your concept to your your product how was that what was that like building it out you mentioned you you taught yourself you know the coding skills and things to be able to build out your your website and these ideas what was that like was it the, like a huge daunting task how did you approach it and um and then from there maybe touch on you know any people or mentors or figures that have made an impact throughout this whole thing um, whether it be on your life or your career Starting out, I will say the Starter Studio program that I mentioned earlier was very instrumental in helping me. Um, so when I came up with the idea, I was still working at the agency, and I have to say, also give a shout out to them because I, I don't know about you, but most bosses aren't super supportive if you're like, hey, I'm leaving to go start another company. Um, but my boss is actually incredibly supportive, um, and he he was. From the beginning, he loved the idea, and I feel like he actually really gave me the confidence to really go for it, um, even though he obviously didn't want me leaving. <laughs> he was very supportive and was like, yo, no, you should go for this. So That's I up, awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah, I stayed at Greenhouse longer just because of the support that I had. But that was very instrumental in allowing me to actually go for it. <laughs> so, um, so I applied to start a studio, and they bring you in, and they're just like, you can literally be a napkin sketch, like have nothing. And they help you do all of your customer interviews, set up your company, do LLC, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, get it going. 
uh, figure out like what your growth plan is, your business model, um, everything. Um, and by the end of it, you do a big demo day. And the goal is to hopefully be able to launch something that you can sell at that point, which I was able to do. Um, so I will say with their support is how I got there because um, it's very helpful when you're going through something like building a company um, when you have no idea what you're doing, being around other people that are also going through it um, because it just makes you feel less crazy. <laughs> uh, and it just allows you to have that support that I think is really important. Um, so, so that would be, I would say, a very instrumental process for me um, at that point. Uh, and the, the mentors I learned in there as well, they have community mentors come out and, like, donate their time to help all the teams and everything. Um, so it was just a really great program. I think a lot of people get scared of launching a business or, or trying to develop an, an idea because they feel like they don't have that support or they don't know where to start. So hearing that there's, you know, these incubator programs and even like, you know, how we map through the PE Project Entrepreneur, like yeah. those types of things really help people gain that confidence that they need, help in terms of building their network. And I think it's probably one of the best decisions startups can make is trying to find a way to kind of, you know, infiltrate into these types of organizations to learn from and, and network in and connect with other like-minded individuals. Because like you said, yeah, it's like if I'm doing something specific when it comes to entrepreneurship and I don't have any friends that, you know, are, are doing that, they're, they're just working a typical nine to five, they don't necessarily understand or get where I'm coming from. And to be able to be around other people who, who get it and they're like, yeah, we understand the late nights and we get it why you're not going out on the weekends to go visit yeah. these people. Like to have that, I think is really instrumental in, in terms of building character and helping you just keep forging forward because it can be, it can be very lonely and it can be really hard. And it's something that I think that helps you not give up early on. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. And especially because I started as a solo founder and, I, I really don't know how far I would have made it without having that support system <laughs> um, because it's just like you said, it, it's very, it's just very lonely and you don't know too, like you don't have anyone to celebrate your successes with or, you know, pick you back up when you do, you know, kind of hit a bad spot. Speaking about bad spots, obstacles, have there been any obstacles along the way and what and how did you overcome them? I kind of view entrepreneurship as kind of like, a, it's like the ocean. There's like, you have really high highs and very low lows, and there's like no in between. <laughs> um, like every, I feel like every time I have a really good, you know, awesome few weeks, I'm, I almost like have to prepare myself because I know something's going to go wrong, which is probably not the best mentality, but you also have to know, like, it's just how it works. Um, and after a year, I can tell you it's like comes in like two week phases of like really good, really bad. <laughs> um, so I think just understanding that like what you can and can't control is really important um, because when you create a company, it's like it's it's a good and bad thing that you literally control everything. So you're like, wow, I can get stuff done really quickly, but if something goes wrong, it's all on you, or at least you feel that way. Um, and I think really taking a step back and realizing sometimes it's not all on you and mistakes are going to happen, um, that it just makes you feel a little bit more sane and, you know, you can kind of make it to that next really good point. Um, but it definitely is really important to, you know, 
take care of yourself and your mental health <laughs> during the process and making sure, you know, you try and schedule some time out where you can kind of like be off the clock, even though you can feel guilty about it. Um, I think that that's just really important and something I try to do, um, even though it's challenging. <laughs> it is. It's, it's really challenging, especially like I feel like women, especially we go when we're going for something, we go above and beyond, and we're, like, going at, like, 200%, like, day in and day out, and and actually taking a moment to slow down. Like you said, you it's like you feel bad about it. So you're like, okay, I know I have to do this and I have to do that, but I need a mental health day. So it's, like, finding that balance and being open to caring about yourself, because if you're not in the right state of mind or, you know, if you're not where you need to be health-wise, how are you going to be able to build your empire? You you need the strength and the abilities to do that. And loving yourself is so important. I feel like that's something that we don't hear enough of. We, like, glorify the, the everyday hustle. Like, it's mm-hmm. that's, like, the thing, the whole – I read an article not too long ago about um, millennials and – the the gig industry right like how we're having most millennials you know we not only work a day job but then we you know maybe we drive for uber or lyft or maybe we're launching a business on the side or we're taking all these freelance gigs on top of everything else and what i thought was interesting is that like it's almost like that whole idea of working you know 60 70 hours 70 hours a week was glorified versus actually trying to find life balance and I know that especially as an entrepreneur there's never like work life balance but we take the good with the bad because it's you know it's Mm -hmm. our business what are your thoughts on like that whole idea of glorifying this whole like are we working ourselves to death (laughs) or like how do we how do we find balance are we or even that is it are we working so much because corporations and other businesses like you said you you work for a fantastic agency they sounded amazing but some places aren't necessarily like that in terms of support but you know are people getting fair wages and all that comes into play with then this whole kind of glorification of the non-stop go 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 hustle every day (laughs) yeah and I think you can get get stuck in that I totally agree with what you're saying I mean um, I I don't know, when you pass other entrepreneurs, you're always like, oh, how are things going? And everyone always is like, good, you know, just busy, good, just busy. And it's kind of very, you know, on the surface. And you don't really – that's why it's good, I think, to have some people that you can actually open up to more and you talk about deeper things than just, like, I'm still hustling. <laughs> like, you know, like have, have some relationships with people. You can actually tell them what's actually going on. Um and I think it's also important to, like, like you were saying, those mental health days and, like, just letting yourself know it's okay to check out for a day. Um, I think I, in the beginning I had a really hard time doing that. Um, and I heard another entrepreneur say this, like, it's, you feel like you're so guilty whenever you're not working on it because you know that it's all on, like, you feel like it's all on you, especially in the beginning when it's just you or maybe a very small team. Um so like trying to just make make yourself understand like it don't feel guilty to take a day of not working on something because it'll actually make you work better when you come back you know that's normally when I'll have my best ideas is when I kind of check out for a little bit and then I'll be like oh my gosh I could just fix this problem <laughs> so I think it is you know a good thing to make yourself aware not to get stuck in that trap of just like working over and over again. <laughs> um, uh, you got to get stuff done, but you also need to take care of yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. Can you maybe tell us about what you might consider like your greatest success or your proudest moment so far? I um I will say I'm trying to think of my best one so far. <laughs> Um, I was really excited. I got into uh, a program after Starter Studio called Fire Spring Fund, um, and they actually give you a small piece of funding. And it's a really cool thing. It's an evergreen fund, so it's actually the community is investing in you, not a single person. And um, you know, like if and when you exit, your your um, the piece of equity that they get actually goes back into the fund to help other companies. Uh, so I think getting into that program was one of definitely the highlights for sure. Um, just because I felt like, you know, it was it really allowed me to take that next step, you know, bring on the first employee, things like that, um, which were all so high moments <laughs> as well. Um, I definitely think that that was pretty cool. And then as far as I would say connecting with other female founders and just like cool women in general has been one of the most awesome um, unexpected things that I didn't realize I would end up making so many awesome friends in the process. I mean, everything from Project Entrepreneur, um, which, you know, with all having 200 female founders in a room, I didn't realize like how weird but cool it would feel. <laughs> like I didn't think of it as being like something that crazy till we got there. Um, and like really looking around and being like, wow, this is like, I've never been in any place like this. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I think that those are some of the highlights. Um, I also was able to connect with one of my awesome mentors. Um, I, I met her through LinkedIn. Uh, it was pretty cool. She actually built and sold an influencer marketing company, and she's been an amazing mentor to me through this process. And I think that when she kind of told me that she could see the vision of it and that she felt like, you know, this was kind of the 2.0 of what she originally wanted to build, um, that really gave me the confidence that I was like, okay, I think I have something here. And I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. So that was another very like pivotal moment. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you just like reach out to her through LinkedIn and say, Hey, I admire you. you your story is amazing. <laughs> you would like to share some advice with me. Like, how did that whole process happen? Yeah. I, one of the biggest advice I give people, first of all, is like LinkedIn is the best tool ever. You can connect with so many people and people are way nicer than you think they are. Like I didn't, before I got into Starter Studio, I, I didn't used to just pitch and reach out to random people, but they very much encourage you to. Um, but I actually connected with her. It was really weird. She actually reached out to me um, through weird contacts because I was friending or whatever, connecting with so many people on LinkedIn that I started connecting with so many of, I guess, her contacts. That She reached out to me. We ended up having a phone call that was supposed to be like 20 minutes and it lasted an hour. Um, and like that was in, in last February probably. And since then, we talk, like, every other week. <laughs> so um, it's, it's pretty crazy that you can create a connection like that with somebody on the other coast that, you know, you before I even, like, got to meet her in person, it was just, like, I felt like I already knew her so well. <laughs> um, but I would say if, if you're an entrepreneur trying to get out there, just connect with people on LinkedIn. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like a LinkedIn success story. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> What kind of other advice would you give someone looking to launch a startup or enter the world of entrepreneurship and startups? I would tell people that I feel like the barrier to entry right now for starting a company is so low that if you're going to do it, like now's the time to at least go for it. Um, and you can do it part-time kind of as a side hustle for a little bit. Um, 
there's there's so many you know with the internet, especially if it's something to do with a digital um, play that you can so much you can do without even like quitting your job yet to like test the market. Um, and I also think the customer interviews, I totally underestimated those starting out, but talking to your potential customer of whatever your idea is will help you not only form your idea better, but you'll figure out if you actually have something there. Like um, at Starter Studio, they, they recommended we talk to like 50 potential customers and just ask them questions and, and ask them in a way that like they, you're not framing it like, hey, would you buy my product? You're asking them about their problem to make sure that you're building a product that solves their problem versus I'm just building this product, someone come buy it, you know? And I think that that methodology of kind of flipping it from building something and they will come to like figuring out what they want and then building it will save you so much time in the future. Um, and I know it saves us a ton of time. So like this niche, like how can I solve this problem? And then you built from there. Whereas a lot of people are just like, I have this idea. Now where do I fit it? Um, yeah. Really thinking about the market, the market needs and research and, you know, doing kind of like that nitty gritty stuff beforehand is really beneficial to you before you, you get any deeper into what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go. Yes, for sure. And I feel like it's the stuff that you don't necessarily want to do. And sometimes it can be hard feedback to take because they might tell you things that you're like, oh, well, I thought that was a great idea. But if that's really not solving their pain point, then you're building it kind of for no reason. So, um, so just really being open-minded too. Where can we learn about uh, you know, Statusphere, you know, are you guys online? Are you on social media? I would assume so, considering <laughs> what you guys do. <laughs> yeah, we're all over the place. Um, you can head to our website, joinstatus.com. Um, and then, you know, we're on Instagram is probably one of our most active, and that's just at Statusphere. Um, and then we're on Twitter, at joinstatus. So we're joinstatus everywhere except for Instagram. Um, but yeah, so you can come talk to us or message me on LinkedIn. I'll answer. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Half Stack Highlights. If you're interested in learning more about Statusphere, visit www.joinstatus.com. You can also connect with them on Twitter and Facebook with the handle JoinStatus and on Instagram with the handle StatusSphere. While you're online, make sure you stop by halfstackmag.com and you can keep up with us on all social media with the handle at halfstackmag. If you like what we're doing, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. This will help our episodes to get noticed and will allow us to continue to create the content that you enjoy listening to and that we're passionate about. Thanks for your support.